Guys, good uh, Thursday afternoon. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's great to be with you from our building, the Macklin Building in downtown Charlottesville. The show is loaded. Um, we have become the water, water cooler of conversation for this community, and it's because we cut through the BS, and we do it in long-form content that cannot be misconstrued, despite many folks trying to misconstrue us. The show airs on all social channels, archived on all social channels and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you look at the screen now, you will see headlines that I think should matter to you, including um, the final days of Tent Town. We're in the home stretch here of Tent Town on Market Street in Market Street Park, formerly Lee Park, Emancipation Park, Freedom Park. Um, Tent Town, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Viewers and listeners of all shapes and sizes has a deadline of 11 p.m. 11 p.m. the deadline on Saturday, and on Saturday at 11 p.m. the um, curfew will be reinstated, and all tent town citizens—is that fair? Tent town citizens, Judah participants. I mean, sure. What what is the preferred nomenclature? Inhabitants, town inhabitants. Sure. Do you think one is more applicable? Citizens, citizens of Tentown? Mm, that makes it sound like they've written up a charter and they're... Uh... They're hosting an open house. They're baking grandma's cookies. They're baking brownies, providing balloons um, of, of the sizes and shapes of pets, inflatables and the name and the size of swords and puppies and wiener dogs and, and, and various inflatable shapes, um, kites for children at the open house, and evidently Narcan for those that choose to visit the Tent Town open house this Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. The open house, which is obviously an a approach that is done to humanize, localize, and personalize Tent Town, this open house takes place nine hours before eviction time. There's many people in this community who have reached out to me and said, Jerry, is, is um, Tent Town organized by somebody behind the scenes? They've said, look at the tents in Tent Town. Some of them are new. If you, Ginny Who has made this point. Ginny Who is watching the program right now. Ginny, if you can offer some insight into this, this would be appreciated. I believe you've said in, in, in previous shows that you are the head um, volunteer or, or the top mom of a Boy Scout troop. And she highlighted that the tents that are in Tent Town are hundreds of dollars. Hmm. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars, some of these tents. So we'll have uh, some discussion on the open house today. We'll talk about the planning commission and what it is recommending to city council for approval. Um, Rory Stolzenberg has uh, a fairly long thread about this on his Twitter account. He's one of the planning commissioners, Rory Stolzenberg, and he has undoubtedly been the most vocal and vigorous supporter. Vigorous? Vigorous supporter. Loud supporter. Okay. Of upzoning. 
Um, I'll highlight his thread and now the fact that this is in council's hands, a project that's been in the mix for seven years, upzoning, rezoning, the draft zoning ordinance, the DZO, whatever the hell you want to call it, comprehensive zoning ordinance, so many names for this. We'll also talk the University of Virginia and its health entity, UVA Health, purchasing the Oak Lawn property in Fifeville. Not sure how I feel about this. Oak Lawn is an estate at the corner of 9th Street Southeast and Cherry Avenue. It is smack dab in the middle of a historically marginalized community. It's 5.2 acres. It's currently zoned R1. Sean Tubbs reports that it would have a residential C category, but because the University of Virginia purchased it, Sean Tubbs reports... The institution does not have to comply with local land use rules or pay real property tax. So here we have a property, another one, Judah, purchased by the University of Virginia Mm -hmm. that comes off the uh, tax rolls. Uh, Jordy Yeager, he's, um, how would you characterize Jordy Yeager, viewers and listeners? Uh, An activist journalist? Jordy Yeager is a historian, maybe? Let's see what, how Jordy characterized. A journalist, a director of digital humanities, a writer, a movie director, an executive producer, is how Jordy Yeager characterizes himself. Um, he did a, a, a tweet thread a couple of days ago and said, reminder, and this was before the Oaklawn property was news. He said, remember guys, the University of Virginia does not pay property taxes a value of roughly $15 million per year based on its 2,000 acres of ownership. In February, UVA Student Council, Jordi Yeager tweets, called for the University of Virginia to pay at least $10 million to the city of Charlottesville by 2030. And that was before the Oak Lawn Purchase. In that thread, friend of the program, Jim Hingley, Commonwealth Attorney, Amarillo County, responds to Jordy Yeager and says, why does student council ask UVA to make payments in lieu of taxes to Charlottesville without asking UVA to make comparable in lieu of tax payments to Albemarle County for UVA property located in Albemarle? Wouldn't the same logic justify pilot payments for both jurisdictions? It's a damn good point by the Commonwealth Attorney Jim Hingley. Fantastic point. Now another property, Oaklawn in Fifeville, removed from the tax rolls. I want to talk about that on today's show. I also want to chatter on this program, Reed Super Safe Market. I mean, what's Reed's known for? Reed's is known for fantastic cuts of meat and beef. Yeah. Reed's is known for a fantastic craft beer selection. Reed's is, is it the last, it's one of the last, one of the last locally owned grocery stores. Foods of All Nations is in that category. Locally owned grocery stores, viewers and listeners, put them in the feed. Judah, you know, let's get you in on a two-shot real quick, then we'll go back to a one-shot. Locally owned grocery stores. Uh, You're asking me if there's more than one? Reed's, the Market Street Market right next to us. I'm sure you were going to say that immediately. (laughs) 
You were shopping there for lunch today or yesterday. I'd say that's locally owned. Probably. The IGA in Crozet. You're, I like when you're chuckling like this, Judah. The IGA in Crozet. I've never been there or seen it's it. It's locally owned. It's owned by the same guy who owns the Market Street Market next hmm. to us. Foods of all nations, locally owned, right? The Hispanic grocery store that was recently robbed on Route 29 this past weekend. I'd put that in the... You I disagree? Mean, if, no, I don't disagree. But if we're going that, uh, if we're going that into the weeds, then... I mean, Why do you say that's in the weeds? Because there are probably like a dozen... Uh, that's a bodega. Yeah, there are a dozen... Probably at least a dozen like little bodegas, little uh, uh, Mexican, uh, Asian markets. Um, I'm not saying that it's wrong, but... Uh, I'll put that in there. Okay, then there's probably quite a few. I mean, you disagree? Viewers and listeners, you disagree? I don't I'll listen. put Feast in there. We're going to include Feast? I'd include Feast as a grocery store. As one of our favorite listeners, Aaron King... One of the finest and most fantastic graduates of Western Almore High School. Is she watching the program? She does a hell of a job at Feast. Reed's has put a sign on its wall in its main entrance right inside the grocery store. Do you have the sign? I believe I... I yeah. Can you put it on screen? I will... I can. I will really read on air for those that are streaming in their cars the message from Reed's to customers. Is it on screen? This is what the sign says, a message to our valued customers and neighbors. Just like individual consumers have felt the pinch, so have we. We have seen increases in all our expenses, not just in the cost of product. With low profit margins in the grocery business, it makes it extremely hard for independent grocery stores like us to operate and make ends meet. This leads to difficult decisions. We have focused on keeping our fresh meat and produce departments well stocked, since they tend to be what draws customers in the most, and more importantly, to ensure that our employees continue to get paid. Please know that we are working diligently on getting grocery, dairy, and frozen items back in stock so we can better service our customers. We hope to have the issue resolved soon. Thank you for your support. We are not closing, but please hang in there with us, and we need your support. Travis Hackworth, you're watching in Danville. He is the, the, the scion... The son, Travis Hackworth, of a family-owned grocery store in Danville, and he's highlighted on previous shows how difficult it is for local mom-and-pop grocery stores to, to operate. I want to talk about the importance of Reed's, not just because it's a local business, but because it is the closest grocery store in a grocery desert mm-hmm. for multiple marginalized communities. Fifeville, 10th and Page, Star Hill, the closest grocery store. When you eradicate or lose grocery stores like Reed's, the marginalized communities suffer the most. That conversation on today's show. I want to highlight the Blue Ridge Venture Fund. Find it online, blueridgeventurefund.com. We're in the process of funding our fourth business, supercharging entrepreneurs connecting them with high net worth individuals. The fourth one about to happen, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things I am most proud of, helping businesses in Central Virginia scale in win-win scenarios with investors and the entrepreneurs leading the operations. It has been an exciting ride. The Blue Ridge Venture Fund 
online at blueridgefensurefund.com. Also on today's conversation, on today's program, we will conversate Pro Renata and its rezoning application timeline from the vantage point of Stanton. Stanton is in fuego, my friends. Absolutely in fuego. We'll explain why. We'll give you a video tour of the Stanton Steam Building, which will become 48 apartments in Stanton, two commercial spots, and one clubhouse. And I want to talk on today's program, mortgage rates now surpassing 8%. 8% on the 30-year fix. Home sales have fallen to a 2010 pace and level. Ladies and gentlemen, the I Love Seville show is locked and loaded, and it's the water cooler of conversation for this community. Two shot for you, Judah Wickhauer. I want to weave you in the mix. Bill McChesney says the IGA on Sherry Avenue already went away. Maria Marshall Barnes said, Reed's used to supply ground beef to some local restaurants. And Kevin Higgins highlights Greenwood Grocery. And the mayor of McIntyre highlights the grocery store on Rose Hill. Judah, Tent Town, open house this Saturday. There are hand-painted signs. Could you show one of the signs, please? Judah's going to put it on screen. Hand-painted signs. I've counted two of them at Tent Town, incurring, encouraging the community to come for an open house from 12 to 2 p.m. this Saturday. The curfew is reinstated at 11 p.m. on Saturday. So when the open house is over, there's nine hours before eviction happens. In many tent town, if you want to go back on a two-shot, many tent town um, citizens have said they will not leave at 11 p.m. come curfew time. So Juna and I, like many in this community, have wondered what is going to happen at 11 p.m. when the curfew is reinstated and folks refuse to leave. You wonder about that, don't you? Mildly. Mildly. I wonder about it significantly. I mean, it's all going to work itself out. Is it going to work out with physicality? With the police and tent town citizens? Is it just going to be kind words saying, please leave, sir, and please leave, ma'am? I'm guessing that's going to be most of what it is. Uh, So you think it's going to be police goes to tent town at 11 p.m. on Saturday and says, ma'am, please leave, sir, please leave, and tent town citizens will acquiesce. I honestly don't know. I don't see the police going in there with, you know, jackboots and uh, and clubs. Uh, I think I think Conscious is wise enough to know that that's a a bad move. Especially, I agree, especially with the way, uh, especially with the the way the reins of this have been handled. Um, I think he sees what. I'm sure he he has a good idea of what he can and can't do, and even if he had carte blanche, I I don't think he's the kind of uh, the kind of chief that would go in there, um, go in there with a chip on his shoulder, looking to you know start something with a bunch of a bunch of you know people. Viewers and listeners, how do you think it's going to play out? How do you think Saturday at 11 p.m. will play out? Do you agree with Judas' take? 
I do think Chief Conscious is an extremely intelligent person and very mindful of perception. Yeah. He knows what the optics are here, especially after the, how this whole thing started. Especially after August 12, 2017 in the same location. That's, I mean, sure. Correlation, yes. Sarah Hill Buchensky asked this question. Last night, NBC 29, I shared the interview in the comments section of I Love Seville Facebook, the I Love Seville group, my personal Facebook, and the I Love Seville food page. Those four pages reach tens of thousands of people. I looked at the metrics for the I Love Seville page by checking the, uh, the analytics and the I Love Seville Facebook page, the analytics of the page itself said last month it was over 30,000 Facebook users at reach, just that one specific page. NBC 29 aired an interview. Carol Thorpe said she watched the interview last night and her jaw dropped. I will read Carol's exact commentary here in a matter of moments. She says, Carol, I saw the interview last night and my jaw hit the floor. An open house hosted by the unhoused. Pun intended. Jerry, riddle me this. As a branding and marketing pro, if you have been trying to heavily refute the notion that the homeless are all drug addicts, why on earth would you choose to offer Narcan as your freebie for adult visitors? Carol Thorpe's question. I think it's a good one. I think the guy is a, I think the guy is a, a great comedian. I don't think he was being comedic at all. You think, why would... Multiple people in that thread said they knew who the guy was and he had fallen off the wagon multiple times when it came to his addiction. Okay. But still, he's got to know that offering Narcan to the adults is uh, comedy gold. I don't think he knew it was comedy gold. You don't think that? I think he was legitimately being genuine as a call to action used to save people's lives that have opiate or drug addiction. I think, and, and, and maybe the roles are reversed on today's episode of the I Love Seville show. Judah and I right here, our roles are re reversed here. I think he is speaking from the depths of addiction and seeing the value of Narcan when it's come to peers, colleagues, friends of his. I will paraphrase what he said in the NBC29 interview. I'm shocked that the interview aired. NBC29 sent a reporter to Tent Town yesterday. Mm -hmm. We have all who go downtown and drive by Tent Town have seen the massive signs around the park that say open house from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Could you put those signs, that sign back on screen? If you could show it for five seconds and then put us back on a two-shot, that would be great. The open house is from 12 to 2 p.m. NBC29 saw the sign. The news director sent a reporter to Tent Town and said, cover the story. They interviewed one of the citizens of Tent Town. And the citizen on air in a broadcast, in an interview that aired multiple times on broadcast television said, we will have grandma's cookies for children. We will have freshly baked brownies for children. Kites and balloons for children. And for the adults that come, we will be offering them Narcan. I showed it to my wife. She was flabbergasted and reiterated that our children will not be getting <laughs> Gammy's 
fresh cookies. The first question Judah Wickhauer asked when he heard of Gammy's freshly baked cookies was... Where do they cook them? Where are they baking the cookies in Tent Town? Where are Gammy's freshly baked cookies being baked? Let's not forget the brownies. The balloons, the inflatables that will be shaped into wiener dogs and other lovable and likable canine and kitty cat creatures, and the kites, and let's not forget the Narcan that will be offered to adults that choose to visit Tent Town during the open house. Carol Thorpe highlights an open house hosted by the houseless. Very intriguing. An open yeah. house hosted by the houseless in Tent Town. I've I mean, had probably... I mean, fr- frankly, it gives... it. For, for anybody interested in going, I'm sure it would give a, uh, an eye-opening view of what it's like to live in that park, you know, what it's been like to live in that park for the last, the last few weeks. There's not a doubt in my mind the open house from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. in Tent Town will be very well attended. It will be very well attended. Yeah. Not a doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. I also want to emphasize what many people have emphasized to me. I've said, I, I would estimate we've received this message in some capacity somewhere between 100 and 200 times from various viewers and listeners. And the overall thesis of the messages that we've received on this subject is who is behind the money and the organization and strategy of Tent Town? And they've highlighted, I hope Ginny Hu is watching, I think she is, she's highlighted this in previous shows. Oh yeah, here, here, here she says, she's writing tweets about this. Jerry and Judah, even with Amazon prices, those tents are extremely high dollar. Also, the majority of those tents look brand new. They haven't been carted around from location to location for years. That takes open to a whole other level. She's a, um, uh, a head of a, a Boy Scout troop, Ma, uh, the, the Den Mom. Those are, those are fair. Um, Have you looked at the price of tents? No, I haven't. I, I'm I, going I'm to sure do they, a, a Google search. I'm sure they can run into the multiple hundreds, if not thousands, for really high-end models. But, you know, while those are great observations, I have no problem with... I mean, I, I get the problem with somebody organizing people to, uh, to stay in the tent to make a statement. I honestly don't have a problem with spend, someone spending any amount of money on tents for people who may need them. I don't have a problem with that either. I don't have a problem with people paying for shelter for those that are in need. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. I do have a problem if there's an organization, a group of people, yeah. or individual people that's trying to make funding a, a... They're trying to make a statement and they're using houseless people to there do it. There it is. Say that again. You said it better than I could. That's my problem. They're trying to make a statement, and they're using houseless people to make that statement. Which is, is that a George Soros type ploy? I don't know enough about George Soros's. Uh, uh, is that activities. a Machiavellian type maneuver? I don't know if anybody in Charlottesville uh, <laughs> gets that uh, gets Machiavellian. Um, I think you are underestimating. I think some people might like to think that they do. 
Who is behind Tent Town? What influence, what money, what force, what organization that is now encouraging an open house? Galvanized, strategized, and organized Tent Town's synastry to host an open house to provide free Narcan and to bake Gammy's chocolate chip cookies. Well, I think the Where better, are the kites coming from? I think the better Where are the balloons question, coming from? I think the better question is whoever, whoever is, uh, is organizing it, if someone is, what is their ultimate goal? That's a great that's, question. That's the better question because what do they hope to gain from this? Viewers and listeners. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen them galvanizing any particular uh, population of Charlottesville to, uh, who knows what. To Kevin Higgins says, is this an open house organized by a potential political candidate? Hmm. Juan Sarmiento says, there's a fantastic Hispanic grocery in Vinegar Hill. Saturday from twelve to two, curfew at eleven p.m. We'll follow it very closely here on the I Love Seville show. I think we should go to the next headline, which is Planning Commission Recommending Upzoning. Deep Throat, we're going to get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Deep Throat has a comment on Ten Town. Quite sure that the support for Ten Town is a legal aid justice center operation, Deep Throat says. The original person who spoke at council had some links to them, I believe like partner or former partner of their head of activism or something like that. Deep Throat says, I believe it's the Legal Aid Justice Center behind this. He also has a take on Oak Lawn, which I will get to in a matter of moments, and how it pertains to the University of Virginia. I want to get to Rory Stolzenberg, the planning commissioner, who did a thread on Twitter today about um, upzoning. And here's how the thread runs. It was published at 10.02 p.m. last night. Rory tweets, nearly seven years later, the Planning Commission has recommended a new zoning ordinance to City Council. This is a big day, and the zoning ordinance is a big, big step. There's plenty of work left to be done to fully implement our comprehensive plan, but this was a big one. Rory also tweets, days like today, it's hard not to think about people Think about people who will judge our decisions in 30 years or more, especially for risk we know and even articulated today. But I'm confident we passed the best proposal that can pass substantial that can pass intact. It's undoubtedly leagues better than today's zoning ordinance. This will make the city better and change the trajectory of climate destruction and increasing unaffordability we're on. I'm proud of it. Upzoning activists then retweet what, what uh, Rory posted, including one local developer and attorney. It is now in the hands of city council, upzoning. I want to highlight a couple things. The planning commissioners have paid very, 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 very little money. Very, very little money. The planning commissioner... The planning commissioners have faced significant crossfire and adversity. You talk about the people, whether or not we agree with their politics or not, some people are willing to put in the work. The school board members are paid nothing, like very little money. Planning commissioners paid even less than the school board members. Heck, the mayor of Charlottesville's paid only $20,000 The other counselors are paid $18,000. 
Almero County Board of Supervisors are paid $17,000. They're paid nothing for the hours they put into civic duty, civic engagement, civic responsibility. They're indentured servants. Look at what Mike Pruitt is doing. Mike Pruitt is a UVA law student. Mike Pruitt, are you watching the program right now? He watches the show often. Someone tag Michael Pruitt. Michael Pruitt, jump in the mix. Michael Pruitt is running for the Scottsville District Board of Supervisors seat. Michael Pruitt, unopposed. He is a Navy veteran. He is a UVA law student. And he will win a spot, Michael Pruitt, on, on supervisor, on the dais for the Admiral County Board of Supervisors. You have a guy that is a Navy veteran that will graduate from UVA Law School, one of the most established law schools in the world. And he is sacrificing four years of his life, financially, financial earning, opportunity cost of coming out of law school at UVA and not working for a big firm in Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Manhattan, D.C., where he could easily be making a quarter million dollars or more. Many UVA graduates. He's got a Navy background. He's a military service veteran. This man could easily have made a quarter million dollars or more. Instead, he's going to work for four years on the Board of Supervisors, collecting $17,000 a year, working 40, 50 hours a week, and having half the community dislike him. That's the opportunity cost of civic engagement and civic duty. It's one thing if you're Ann Malik and you're retired. Yeah. It's another thing if you're Diantha McNeil and you're retired. But when you're sacrificing your 30s, your prime earning year, that's a significant opportunity cost. Planning Commission recommends upzoning to City Council. It's now in the hands of five councilors. I just watched the mayor walk by the studio. Mm-hmm. How will city council respond? This is seven years in the works. My guess is city council will move forward with what planning commission has suggested. Natalie Oshren, who will replace Leah Perrier on council on January 1, is an extreme upzoning advocate. Will this be kicked down the road until Natalie Oshrin is on council? Only time will tell. Regardless, I think you're going to see upzoning and what the Planning Commission pushed yesterday. In a proved and forward direction. We're very close to putting, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on this. But I would expect multiple lawsuits to follow. Time will tell. Let's go to the UVA headline. What's the first question, Judah Wickhauer, as we weave you into a two-shot about the University of Virginia purchasing the Oak Lawn property, five acres and change in Fifeville at the corner of 9th Street Southeast and Cherry Avenue? What's the first thing that came to your mind? UVA Health says it will partner with, with the Fifeville Neighborhood Association and other community groups to explore how to best use the historic home to support community needs. First thing that comes to your mind, Judah Wickhauer. 
First things, first thing that comes to my mind is <clears throat> how do we still have land to sell in Charlottesville? This was on the market for an extended period of time. All right. Extended period of time, anyone in this community could have purchased this ahead of UVA Health. What's on your mind? Well, I mean, the obvious question, right, is uh, how much... How much can Charlottesville afford to get taken off their uh, tax rolls? There you go. UVA owns 2,000 acres plus in the city of Charlottesville. That's synonymous with $15 million a year in taxable real estate revenue. $15 million. What's the Charlottesville city budget? $230 million per year? Can you check? I'd say in the neighborhood between 230 and 250 million dollars, 230 and 250 for the yearly budget for the city of Charlottesville. See if you can get me that number. UVA buying this property that was on the market for an extended period of time and saying in a statement that it will partner with the Fifeville Neighborhood Association to figure out the best use of the property on first glance. That has fantastic value, and the optics are on the up and up. When you dig deeper, you ask yourself the following questions. UVA is free to do what it wants and can operate outside any zoning regulations. And UVA, when it purchases property, removes it from tax rolls. If it continues to buy property in Charlottesville City and Albemarle County, it furthers the financial burden of maintaining Albemarle and Charlottesville's yearly budgets by positioning that financial burden on property taxes, real estate taxes, and businesses. Food and beverage, meals tax, lodging taxes. The more they buy, the more you, the more Judah, and the more I take out of our pocket and give Tomorrow County and the city of Charlottesville for daily operation. That's some of the stuff that you should be asking yourself about. Deep Throat says this on Oak Lawn. It sort of gives the lie to the idea that land is so scarce in Seville we have to upzone. This plot is five acres. Even with the graveyard easement and need to preserve the existing house, under the new zoning you could get in 100 units easily. And yet it sat on the market for months at $800,000 an acre and then got price cut. Who knows where it sold ultimately, though no higher than $3.5 million, the last listing price. Perhaps yeah. it was 650000 an acre once it closeless, closes. That's hardly Palo Alto, my dudes. Great That's point. Hardly, I can totally see him saying, my dudes. That's hardly Palo Alto, my dudes. Yeah. Bigger picture, this is prime land for residential development, and yet again, UVA stops it, just like they have made University Gardens a former site of apartments a parking lot. Yeah. That's good commentary right there from the man who's known worldwide as Deep Throat. As Deep Throat. What are the taxes that have been paid in recent years? Um, Deep Throat, you can get me that number. 
What are the yearly taxes Bill McChesney is asking on that property? I could probably figure that out. I can definitely figure that out if I wasn't live on air. Um, I'd have to go into the GIS. I've got to get the exact address. I, I, this is going to be difficult for me to do live on air, to get onto the GIS, find the address. Can, you get me, can someone get me the yearly taxes on that so I can answer? It's now been asked five times on the aggregate comment feed, the yearly taxes. That's a great question. Hopefully someone can provide that answer. Ray Cadell says this. Oh, Ray Cadell, the realtor's got a good comment. Are you ready for this one from Ray Cadell? He says this. Judah, listen to this. Big Ray and the Cool Cats. If I buy a home with a specific zoning and the homes around me are zoned the same, should I not be able to count on that zoning remaining constant to protect the value and style of living I bought into? Please read my comment, Jerry. Hmm. Many people would agree with you. Thank you, Deep Throat. Yeah. 20000 per year in yearly taxes, Bill McChesney, Grayson, Stephen, Spencer, and Thomas all asking this question. Deep Throat just gave us the answer. $20,000 a year in taxes removed from the tax rolls, Judah Wickhauer. Now over 2,000 acres under tax-free control by the university in the city of Charlottesville. Ray Cadell, that's why you are seeing folks in the city of Charlottesville put covenants and restrictions on their respective properties. You are seeing that uh, more and more, and it's happening on the down low. It's happening on the down low. I got two, I got two, three, four, I got five elected officials watching the program as we speak. Five. Lonnie Murray says most of the university is in Almoro County. He's exactly right. And what he's talking about is if it's 2,000 acres and 15 million a year removed from the tax rolls in the city of Charlottesville, mm -hmm. think about the significance of Almoro County and its removal from the Almoro County tax rolls. Now, UVA makes a very convincing and compelling argument that the University of Virginia brand, its infrastructure, and its ecosystem drives the economy to much greater heights than yeah. its contribution via real estate taxes. And yeah. without the University of Virginia brand, ecosystem, and infrastructure, this town would be Martinsville. Not to throw shade on Danville. I love Danville. Love you, Travis Hackworth. A lot of people make that argument. It's a decent argument. Deep Throat responds to Lonnie Murray. Lonnie Murray, you have a response from Deep Throat. He says, in terms of value of holdings, the value in Seaville and in Albemarle are about the same. The value of UVA holdings, that is, in Seaville and Albemarle County are the same. That's for Lonnie Murray. And he says the UVA argument about my brand would apply to any large employer, but those employers still mostly pay taxes, even if sometimes they negotiate abatements. It's a fair point. I don't know a large employer. I'm going to play devil's advocate with deep throat. I don't know a large employer that is to the extent of the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, however. 
Lonnie, if you have any thoughts, put them in the feed. Oak Lawn, the estate, after months of being on the market, is now in the hands and control of the University of Virginia. Reed's Super Save Market. Can we get to that? Put the, put the sign back on. Ginny Hu says, my issue with the tents in Tent Town is the same as Judah's. It's about whoever's behind it. If someone or a group is using these people, that is despicable. I 100% agree with that. She also says the majority will leave peacefully. I am, my phone has 71 unread text messages right now since I've started the show. 71. She says, Ginny who the majority will leave peacefully. I also think, as always seems to be the case in Seville, a small minority has an agenda to create drama. Mm-hmm. 73 unread text messages right now. You got the read sign on? I do now. Please put it back on screen. Kevin Cox posted this on Facebook. Guys, if you want to... Kevin Cox, thank you for posting this on Facebook. If you want to support a local business, you better support Reed's right now. There's been a notice posted inside the store basically saying we're going to keep the produce... The fresh meat and the produce produce departments well-stocked. The remaining aspects of the store have extremely meager stock selection. I've seen it firsthand. Like, extremely meager. I'm talking like Manhattan bodega in a tough part of town. That meager the shelves. And Reed's is straight up telling people, ladies and gentlemen... You need to support us if you want us to survive. We're not closing, but we need your support. And they straight up said an independently owned grocery store is extremely difficult to to run. A lot of people don't realize this. The grocery business operates on extremely thin margins. I'm talking single-digit percentage margins. And we're talking the big boys like Teeter, Food Lion, Kroger, and Giant. Single-digit percentage margins, and that's a successfully run grocery store that's vertically integrated, purchasing power, and economies of scale. I can't imagine what a mom-and-pop one-unit operation is doing to survive. And while we all want locally-owned businesses to survive, I certainly do. I know Judah does as well, and I never speak for Judah, but on this one I will. A deeper dynamic to this story is the grocery desert, the food desert that is the area and how Reed's fills an incredibly important niche or need for historically marginalized communities, African-American neighborhoods, 10th and Mm -hmm. Page, Rose Hill, Star Hill, Fifeville, This grocery goes away, and folks that do not have vehicles that are either walking or relying on public transportation have a much more difficult trek trek carrying bags of groceries to and from where? Probably Market Street Market. If they even know about it, but yeah. Reed's goes away. What's the closest grocery? Harris Teeter? Harris Teeter ain't cheap. 
Yeah. You're playing Frogger, risking your life going from Cherry and Fifefield, 10th and Page, Star Hill to Harris Teeter. Your closest one is the Market Street Market. Right next to us, right? Yeah, you'd think. Uh, I mean, who knows? They might. Someone might head up to uh, Food Lion. If you go there, you might as well keep going and go to Wegmans. Fifth Street but, Food Lion? I don't know. That's a hell of a trek. Yeah, no doubt. How many bags of groceries can you carry? <clears throat> How many times would you be doing the trip? I mean, you'd probably, if you could, you'd probably call an Uber. Call or, an Uber? Or catch a, catch a bus? I don't know. Catch a bus more realistic, calling an Uber? I, I don't know. Our youngest is 11 months old. You'll appreciate this. You could walk to the grocery store, then call an Uber on the way back, stick, your, stick all your bags in the trunk. Keep seems, talking for a second. It seems doable. Um, I honestly don't know. It's uh, if I had to walk from uh, from my place to go get groceries, I'm not sure if I would get groceries. I'm not sure how I'd get groceries. But uh, people manage it. Uh, moms that are watching the show. Oh, I'm hoping my wife texts me. I just asked her a question. So our youngest has a. Uh, uh, we're, we're maybe a lactose uh, aversion. Hmm. And evidently yeah. they grow out of it around the uh, one year marker. So Hadley, th- my, my, uh, my niece Hadley has a, uh, has a problem with, um, with dairy or had a problem. I don't know if she still does, but, uh, but my dad was always trying to pop things in her mouth and Trisha was always smacking his hand saying, Dad, that's got butter. Yeah, dad, dude, that, that's that happened. Got... That happened to me this morning. Yeah, that happened like, to me. Dad, that happened you, to me last dad, night. Dad, can you just not feed my baby because <laughs> <laughs> because everything you try to put in her mouth has has butter or milk or something in it, and you know better than this. I think uh, I think you and uh, I think Big Big Jim and me have a lot in common right here. That happened to me this morning. That happened to me last night. That happened to me yesterday morning. That happened to me on Sunday morning. That happened to me on Sunday night. That happened to me on Saturday morning. That happened to me on Saturday night. Eventually, uh, Mandy started to say, "I think Trisha is now just a little bit overly concerned about it because I don't think it Hadley's being affected by it anymore." I, I will say this: that's not a comment that you want to offer uh, to moms. Of babies. Yeah. It was, I Good mean. rule of thumb. Nobody, we, nobody had any arguments, uh, you know, when. You just go with the flow. When Hadley was, you know, was six months, eight months, a year old. But, you know, once she, once she started getting close to two and. This is your niece. And he's talking about Trisha and Mandy, his sisters, and Jim, his father. Yeah. Trying to add a little context and color here. Trisha, I, Trisha is the mother of Hadley. And Mandy is the aunt. And they. Trisha and Mandy live very near each other, and so Mandy helps out a lot. And when Mandy says, uh, "You know, I think the, uh, I think the the issue is gone," but Trisha just won't let it go. I. And we've all been there. John and, Blair, great comment with Rebecca's. I will get to that in a matter of moments. Integral mm-hmm. yoga, another one that some are saying is is local. Yeah. Um, so our youngest, who's shockingly 11 months very soon, time flies, 
the days feel like years, but the years feel like days. He has a milk aversion, mm-hmm. which we're told he will grow out of in the year to 18-month marker. So we have to get formula that is the step-up formula. Yeah. And this formula is extremely expensive. This formula is roughly $40 for the container, and it lasts two to three days and fills eight to ten bottles. Our 10-month-old, soon-to-be 11-month-old, the weekly grocery bill for him is almost synonymous with the weekly grocery bill for my wife, myself, and our five-and-a-half-year-old. I'll Mm. say that again. Just purchasing formula, and it's the step-up, more expensive formula because of the milk allergy, we hope he grows out of it, is the same price point, basically, of what my wife, a grown woman, myself, a grown man, and a a five-and-a-half-year-old boy that eats like a grown man, what we spend on the three of us each week. That's how expensive having babies are. That does not include diapers, the many trips to the doctor's office for checkups, and what appears to be a level of sickness that every baby gets that seems to be every other day or every three days. Medicine. My point is this. This specific type of formula, I'm seeing, what's it called? I'm I'm texting with her. She sends me, when I go grocery shopping, she just sends me, instead of a list, she sends me pictures of what to buy. Like pick like screen grabs instead of a list, and I still take three times as long as her to make it through the grocery store. <laughs> this particular formula is not at every grocery store. Yeah, I remember in uh, the Outer Banks, my mom and I searching high and low throughout the grocery store for a bottle of something called Ripple, which is apparently something that uh, you get for kids that can't have dairy milk it's normally at Wegmans but Wegmans was sold out so then we had to go to two or three other spots for it this is a first class type of problem first world first world type of problem this is what it's called it's called uh, there's 89 unread text messages since the show has started on my phone right now Nutra Machine Nutra Machine Nutra Machine Hypoallergenic, hypoallergenic, hypoallergenic infant formula powder with show. iron for food allergies, brain building. It's forty dollars after tax, right here. I'm putting it on screen here. Moms, women should rule the world. Men, men are idiots. I'm an idiot. I openly admit I'm an idiot. This is what it is. Can 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 they see it? I straight up admit I'm a moron. Can they see it on? Am I? Is that the camera? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think they can probably see they that. Can see I don't that? know if they can read it, but that's the formula right there. A lot of parents can relate to this. Hmm. Uh, left, down, left. There you go. Yeah, Enfamil Nutramagen. I, I guess, guess my point maybe. is this. We legitimately have gone to five grocery stores for formula. Other people are in positions like this. And I'm not saying Reed's has this formula, but I'm saying there are circumstances similar to this that probably exist. And by eradicating or removing a grocery like Reed's, people will be impacted by it. 
fortunately, our family has a vehicle where yeah. we can go from grocery store to grocery store, grocery store to grocery store to search for what's best for our kid. Not everyone has that luxury. Mm-hmm. The folks that will be impacted by Reeds maybe not surviving, and right now Reeds is saying we need your support, are those that are already on the financial margin. Yeah. That's a big deal. John Blair says the loss of Reeds would be extremely disturbing. Given the loss of Rebecca's, I think it calls into serious question the idea of any grocery model except for the large-scale chain in smaller cities. Its struggles, its struggles should put to rest the repeated Charlottesville conversation regarding a neighborhood grocery store when rezoning land use discussions arise. Given Reed's longtime brand and a nice location in a very densely populated area, I just don't think it's realistic to believe a small grocery store can flourish in Seville or any smaller city. If Reed struggles, how would we expect any other similar store to work? That's a damn good comment again. Yeah. How many people have said in upzoning, oh, we need a neighborhood grocery or a grocery co-op? We've heard that so much. REITs has an established brand, institutional memory, brand equity, is in a densely populated area, a densely populated area where a lot of people don't have cars. It's on a bus line. It's close to the downtown mall. It's close to the University of Virginia. It's close to UVA Hospital. It's close to yuppies. It's close to affluent. It's close to the rich. It's close to the middle class. It's close to the lower class, the working class any class you want to call it, and it's basically saying it can't survive. It's struggling to survive. Yeah. And I'll tell you right, I'll tell you right now, Walmart, Target, and Amazon, and grocery delivered to your store, or Instacart, grocery delivered to your car, outside of a pickup spot, is going to cannibalize and put out the crappy ones. If anyone thinks, I mean, what's the one that just got bounced from the equation, the German one? Oh, uh, was, that was that Little? Lidl? Was that Aldi or Lidl? Aldi? I, th- Aldi? I, think, I think it was Lidl. Little? Aldi? Lidl. <laughs> One of them got bounced after a short period of time. I think it was Lidl. Fresh Market got bounced. Rebecca's got bounced. Come on. Bill McChesney said there was a Reeds on the downtown mall that burned down in the 1970s and 1980s. Kevin Yancey says every burger sold by Riverside was made with Reeds Burger. Bill McChesney says Ripple was an MD 2020 type wine when I was in my teens. I do. Mad Dog 2020. I was a little surprised when my sister said she needed Ripple for for my my niece because that's what I associate it with as well. Mad Dog 2020? <clears throat> that stuff was nasty. Yeah, or like Boone's Farm. <clears throat> oh, Boone's Farm was much more tolerable than Mad Dog 2020. Yeah. And I'd have drank Mad Dog 2020 when pledging Fisai. Unless you see a guy who downed an entire bottle and then uh, tried to make it out of the house to the uh, yard and didn't. We had a fire burning in the fireplace in the party room of Fisai, the fraternity, that the big one by the Mad Bull. When you go down Rugby Road, there's an iconic fraternity house right at the end of the Mad Bull. That was our house. There was a fire in the fireplace in the party room. And as pledges, we had to crawl up the stairs to the third floor, pound Mad Dog, keep some in our mouth, and then crawl on our hands and knees down the stairs from the third floor to the fireplace and spit 
on the fireplace to put it out, and we had to keep doing it until the fire was done. Idiots we were. Idiots. Sarah Hill Buchensky says, as far as people putting deed restrictions on their properties in light of upzoning, are we talking about whole streets or whole neighborhoods? Otherwise, the owner who puts the deed restriction on their property would reduce the potential resale value of their property only, and neighboring properties could see more density. Sarah Hill Buchensky is a realtor. That's yeah. a great comment. What's happening, SHB, is neighbors are organizing, galvanizing, and strategizing on streets. Individual streets are putting deed restrictions in cahoots, in organization, on their properties. Like an actual street, not an entire neighborhood. Interestingly, the deed restrictions that are being put on properties are many of the properties that do not have uh, mortgages on their home, which shows the level of affluence of the deed restriction decision makers. Hmm. Deep Throat says, John Blair is absolutely right. Deep Throat says, John is right, and even in New York City, the only way the bodegas survive is by focusing two-thirds of sales on addictive products, nicotine, mm. alcohol, and lottery tickets. Not good for anyone. Interestingly, New York City bodegas have been trying to use zoning to stop 15-minute delivery apps by saying their little depots are warehouses and out of compliance with zoning on that basis. Deep Throat's father owned a uh, handful of Manhattan taxi medallions. believe he still does, if memory serves correct, deep throat, and had a, a robust taxi service at one time. Juan Sarmiento of the Charlottesville Transportation Fleet says, I got messed up on Mad Dog Beyond Belief at my bachelor party for my first marriage. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Mad Dog will F you up. I mean, it is no joke. I played Edward Forty Hands in college with Mad Dog, where we taped two Mad Dogs to our hands with duct tape, Edward Scissorhand style, but it was Edward Forty Hands, and we were drinking Mad Dog bottles, and we couldn't untake the bottles off our hands and take the duct tape off our hands until we finished the Mad Dog. And it was a night where I'm sure terrible decision-making was done. I need to talk about the Stanton Steam Building. We have a video we're going to show. We are not responsible for the audio of this video. It is not great audio quality, but it does show the potential of a fantastic building in Stanton. Stanton is greenlighting projects at an impressive clip. I'll say this once and I'll say it again. I've said this once and I'll say it again. Stanton is becoming, the town of Stanton is becoming significant competition for Charlottesville City. It's got affordability, it's got charm, it's got hospitality, and it's starting to get big-time brands coming to downtown Stanton. Pro Renata is a perfect example. I'm going to show you a video. Judah's going to play it from the Stanton, Virginia Economic Development Team. Hey, John, I sincerely mean this. Are you still watching, John Blair? Anyone from Stanton is welcome on this talk show anytime they want to come on the show. I sincerely mean this. Anyone from Stanton is welcome on this talk show anytime they want to come on this show. Anyone from your team, anyone from Stanton government, I would champion Stanton in a heartbeat. We're going to play a video. This video is the Stanton STEAM project 
you're going to see Robin Miller, the principal at Robert Miller, Robin Miller and Associates, do a tour of a historic building and site that will eventually turn into 48 apartments, a clubhouse, and two commercial spaces. This is a video tour of the Stanton Steam Project done by Robin Miller, the principal at Robert Miller and Associates. You ready? Let's mm. play that video in three. Make sure the audio is playing. We already caveated that we did not shoot this video. Three, two, one. talking 48 apartments, a clubhouse, and two commercial spaces. Robin Miller talks about the importance of historic tax credits for a historic building. And just like that, the town of, Scott, the town of Stanton is getting 48 more residential units to attract people. I also want to highlight this comment from John. This is about Pro Renata. Dr. John Shabe, are you still watching the program? We love when John watches the program. To give people perspective, Pro Renata submitted its rezoning application to the city of Stanton. I call it town. I'm sorry. It's technically a city. I apologize and I stand corrected. I'll start from the beginning. John says, to give people perspective, Pro Renata submitted its rezoning application to the city of Stanton in June. June of this year. The City Council approved the rezoning at its October 12, 2023 meeting. That's called an effective community and economic development staff. That's amazing. Amanda is a demio of the economic development team in the City of Stanton. I would love to showcase you on the I Love Seville show and positively spotlight all the incredible things that are happening in the city of Stanton. John, if you can help make that happen, that would be huge. I'll read this again. Pro Renata submitted its rezoning application to the city of Stanton in June. The city council approved the rezoning at its October 12, 2023 meeting. That's called an effective community and economic development staff. Albemarle County and the city of Charlottesville should take note. John didn't say that last sentence. I did. That's amazing.
so many comments right here. I, I can't, I'm trying to, there's 42 comments on my personal Facebook page alone, Judah. Carol Thorpe says this, the matter of distributing food, whether free or sold, is a sticky legal situation that is a throwback to Occupy Charlottesville. Technically, there are numerous and detailed food laws on the books from the Virginia Health Department that prohibit such unless you have a license and people who are certified in safe-serve protocols. As you say, we don't know if the food is prepackaged, retail, or home-cooked, or prepared on-site. That's another huge concern in terms of cleanliness, food temperatures, proper storage, etc. Vanessa Parkhill says, what is in those brownies? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. What is in those brownies that they're serving at the open house? And Carol, Carol says that man was dead serious in that NBC 29 interview and was not joking. All right, last topic, and I'm going to read as many comments as possible. Put your comments in the feed. I will relay them live on air. Mortgage rates just hit 8%. Mortgage rates just hit 8%. And this is people with good credit. At the same time that mortgage rates hit 8%, sales have dropped to the slowest pace since October of 2010. At the same time that mortgage rates have hit 8%, many have said they will go even higher than 8%. There was one expert on Real Talk who alluded to mortgage rates flirting with 10%. I doubt they'll go that high, but a lot of people said they would never get to 8%. At the same time that mortgage rates have hit 8%, sales volume has slowed to the slowest pace since October 2010, inventory levels are at generational lows, while home values have upticked to the most expensive levels of seen in American history, all at the same time a boatload of people are entering the home buying market. Mm-hmm. So you got a boatload of people trying to buy houses. Those houses are more expensive than they've ever been in American history. The interest rate to finance the purchase of those houses is at an extremely high level. And the amount of units that you can purchase or the homes that you can buy are at an extremely low level. What's compounding this matter is the golden handcuffs of a, bo- of a boatload of people. 80% of American homeowners have an interest rate of 4% or less. This is literally a collision of like a boatload of stuff at the exact same time. ton of people trying to buy, expensive debt service, not a lot of houses to buy, and the houses that are out there to buy are the most expensive they've ever been. This is a collision of headwinds for real estate. And at the micro market, the micro level Charlottesville, what are we going to do with five to 10,000 people enter the market with six-figure jobs and bags of money? To say this is a crisis is an understatement. Here's the next trend that you should follow. Here's the next trend to follow, ladies and gentlemen. The small and medium-sized builder is being pinched left and right. 
The small and medium-sized builder does not have the cash on his or her balance sheet to just go and build spec, spec houses dilly-willy and do development nilly-willy. Nor has local government cut the red tape to expedite development and home construction to make the process more affordable and efficient. As a result, the big builders, think Ryan Holmes, think Lennar, they have economies of scale. The same kind of vertical integration, purchasing power, and economies of scale that we're seeing by Walmart, Amazon, and Target in the grocery business. By Amazon in the retail business. Lennar is offering potential clients, this is a publicly traded company, 4.5% mortgages if it chooses to build it a house with its publicly traded outfit. You hear that? Lennar says, we will give you a 4.5% mortgage if you buy a house, if you build a house with us. This is a publicly traded home builder. Small and medium-sized builders can't do that. These headwinds that I outlined, rising rates, rising values, too many buyers, not enough inventory, are squeezing and pinching the small and medium-sized builder. The small and medium-sized builder was squeezed and pinched in 2008, 2009, 2010. That yielded or led a massive shortage in housing. The headwinds we're facing now is not going to create a housing collapse. No, 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 no. It is not going to create a housing collapse. No, 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 no. What it will create is a significantly more drastic housing shortage. We will have less homes built because of the headwinds we're facing today. And the less homes we have built will exasperate the housing shortage issue, will further drive values for existing homes, and will widen the wealth gap in America, in Virginia, in Central Virginia, in Charlottesville, and in Almoro County. Market the F down. And I don't think there's anything anyone can do about it. Bill McChesney highlights the million-dollar-plus home for sale near the graveyard on Lexington Avenue. Bill McChesney, guess what? That million-dollar small home, three-bedroom, two-bath listed by Loring Woodruff on Lexington Avenue is now under contract. So while everyone was mouth agape about a million-dollar-plus home, three-bedroom, two-bath on Lexington Avenue next to a graveyard, it went under contract. It was priced right. We may be shocked by the sticker price, but if it goes under contract, it's priced right. Because in real estate, all it takes is one person to say yes. Mm -hmm. It's not politics. It takes one buyer in real estate. It's under contract. It's pending. Oh, man. Crazy times. Five to 10,000 people coming to Charlottesville in the next five years. If you're on the fence or thinking about buying a house, buy one right now. And you think I'm crazy about saying buy one right now because it's so expensive and the interest rate environment's astronomical? Wait till you see what happens when five or 10,000 people come with bags of money, Scrooge McDuck style, spitting gold coins out of their mouth. Jason. Stephanie Rhodes, welcome to the program. 
We love when you watch the show, Stephanie Wells Rhodes of the Interstate Service Company family. Interstate is a home's best friend, Interstate Service Company. For those that you have sent me a text message during the show, it's now 91 unread text messages. I will try to respond. I got this via DM. I don't want to be named on this because it's something I learned from the Reed's owner, but another thing Reed's has going, has going is it owns that building outright and just pays maintenance and taxes. A new business won't have that edge on Reed's. That's a great point. So the anonymous commenter, this is not deep throat, this is not deep throat, has said that the Reed's team owns the building. So it's just paying maintenance and taxes. That's a huge advantage. Yeah. All right. That's the, uh, what's today? Thursday edition of the I Love Seville show where we cut through the BS. We cut through the BS. It's long form content. It can't be taken out of context. On the internet, it's documented, it's archived, wherever you get your podcasts. And we encourage you to check out the Blue Ridge Venture Fund, where we're on the cusp of funding our fourth, fourth client and business. BlueRidgeVentureFund.com. Judah, props. Good work. Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, The I Love Seville Show. Thank so you. long.